Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. You know, as you get older, like I am, I'm going to be 65 in a couple of weeks, something my wife has uh, not stopped telling me because she's a year older than I am. But anyway, as you get older, really over the age of 25, there's besides generally wanting to be healthy, that's a bit of a general question, there's really two things that tend to come up again and again and again. And one is muscle, muscle mass, not that you want to be, you know, this muscle bodybuilder, but you want to have enough muscle. And you're worried about your memory. Oh, is my memory going? Why Why is it that I can't remember where I put my keys? Huh. Who is the actor in that particular play or movie? And it goes on and on and on. And so as you get older, it's kind of funny that you start questioning these things. You A lot of these questions are very internal. Why didn't I recognize that guy's name right away? Recognize him or her, and yet... The name wasn't right there. And I know there's techniques of, of doing all that, but still, these are the questions you will ask yourself. So muscle and memory are inextricably connected. And what I mean is, I touched on it last time in, in sarcopenia a little bit, but we're talking about um, brain-derived neurotropic factor, factor that that is produced in greater quantities when you exercise. And those kind of exercises matter, but something obviously better than nothing. So that's the big graph, right? Nothing, nothing happens, not much happens. And a lot of exercise, a lot of brain-derived neurotropic factor will be produced. And, and um, BDNF has a lot to do with your uh, hippocampus, which is where your Think of it as a campus. That's a campus where your memory lives. Um, it has a lot to do with that. And so you need enough of that. Most of it is made in the brain. It's made throughout the rest of your body. But however, it much more of it is made when you exercise and when you exercise intensely. So as much as it sounds like we're going to go off into an exercise, that's clearly a very important point. We're not so much going to do that. We're going to talk about how memory is important. Muscles are important. And what is the thing that you need to do for both of them? It is exercise. And ideally, it's a big deal exercise. So as you get older, and it's pretty well documented, 
you know, you start losing muscle mass after the age of 25 and they have rates of change and so on and so forth. And so that's just sort of the almost generic sort of approach. You know, what happens as you get older? Why do you turn into the frail old lady or the frail old man? What happens there? And we talked about, well, part of it is certainly age, you know, so the wear and tear in the body, we can sort of say that's something, if you want to call it oxidation of this, that, or the other thing, fine. But it also is, what are the co-factors, I mean, the other factors that go along with aging that tend to decline, that you do have control over, and you obviously have control over your willfulness to go out and do some hard exercise and your willfulness to be aware of how much protein you need to have. So we've talked about ideally you need to have four eating events throughout the day. That's the most effective way to maximize your muscle protein synthesis, MPS, and minimize its breakdown. So you work out, that's one thing, high intensity uh, exercise, that's one thing, it's gonna be a big deal and they eat four times throughout the day. And if you're a real Olympic person, and I doubt they're on this podcast listening, is that they could even have a fifth uh, protein time of eating that would be right before bed. So there is an idea, and there's actually some research around this, and everything's a controversy, and nothing's black and white. So I want to introduce you to my world of not so much gray, but Things don't become definitive until they're at least 50 years old, unfortunately. But the idea is, can you make your muscles grow in your sleep? Now, as some of you know, I'm all about whole food sources of protein, right? So that's meat, that's poultry, and that's fish. And within those categories, maybe there's certainly the fish category, you can choose better or worse. And that's primarily because of the environmental toxicity. So we all point to salmon's good, and they're not that toxic, and they have good omega-3s. They're kind of a quote-unquote fatty fish, but fish generally are not that fatty. Um, and then there's poultry. So yeah, there's a degree of think about where this food came from. You don't want to be eating the garbage that they ate if they ate garbage, meaning toxins. So um, I'm going to do an exception or say there are times in which whole food sources of protein may not be the recommendation that is best followed, that has the highest compliance. So there's a number of people that I'm working with in their 70s. And you know, now that you've tracked, you know, what is a week in the life of Bobby or Ruth or whoever, and you get to see how well they are. Maybe they're hypocaloric. Well, that's easy. You need to have more calories, but you have to make it work in their life. So by saying eat more isn't really an answer. It's not, you really haven't helped that person out much. You have to, I mean, at worst comes to worse. There are good tasting medical foods. Those are powders and they have it all combined and they have their scoops. And yeah, for sure. I've seen uh, people rally you know, were on death's doorstep because they now changed the quality. Well, they've now had the calories, they've had the protein, and they've had the the vitamins that were in such medical food. So that is a difference. That is a big deal. But when we pull back from those crazy situations and just have real life, uh, whole food sources of proteins are, are much better. So anyway, um, there's at least two people that I'm visualizing now that I've worked with, and I know that they are 
way under consuming protein. So we'd said, hey, we'll have more protein. You know, it gets your iron up. Your iron is not just about hemoglobin, but it's also about your ability to process energy as part of your electron train, um, electron train transport, chain transport, train, chain transport, excuse me. And iron is part of that. So is CoQ10, so is a number of other things. But iron's part of that. So it's not just hemoglobin when we think about we're eating steak or we're getting our iron, um, we're getting our iron so we can now have the ability to convert fat and protein and carbohydrates, glucose, into uh, ATP, right? Okay then, so iron's used in those two places. And you can check that through an iron panel, which is ferritin, and then your CBCs and everything, and iron. Okay, so, all right, so you say, let's have meat. Have some meat, your life will change. Like, that was a big discovery. You know, yep, you're low here, let's have meat. That seems a good solution, you increase your protein. But what happens when it doesn't happen? So your great idea that probably is uh, a good solution isn't viable there. It's just, you know, what happens when people get older, um, for all of us, is that you start to lose your appetite. You're not as hungry as long. And and so when it comes to eating protein, which is pretty satiating, that's one thing about it's nice about protein. People can't overeat protein because they're full. So it's not like, oh my gosh, this guy just had 10 pounds of protein. He's going to blow up and in his kidneys and blah, blah, blah. It never happens. Absolutely never happens. They, they're fine. You know, that's what happens. Your appetite drops. So it's self-regulating in that sense. So, well, anyway, um, as we get older, not only do we tend to eat less, but we even need more protein uh, disproportionately. So to have, to recommend that you're going to tell this person they need to eat more protein, whole food sources of protein, and they get full faster than when they were younger, you kind of have a, a limitation there. You know, you might still be down to half of what you want that person to have in terms of, remember we talked about the range of protein. We want up to 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram of ideal body weight, otherwise known as one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. Okay. But it ain't going to work out because they're just um, not hungry. So enter in, you know, things like whey powder, uh, protein powders, and so on and so forth. So in the science, I mean, you can look up what whey is. Whey is pretty interesting. So whey is not just a protein powder. Whey is a waste product from cheese making. So now we're back on the farm. Cheese making, it was, so cheese making goes way back. But there's this slurry that's left over, which is pretty watery, and that's whey. And separating the curds in a way, the curds are the thing that's going to be the cheese. There is such thing as whey cheese. Uh, we've talked about it before. Um, having lived in Norway for a few years, um, you have Gubernstal and you have Yetos, Ekte Yetost. Um, and uh, it's delicious. It's delicious. So, but anyways, there's such a thing as whey cheese. But most cheeses in the world, like 99.9% .9 of them, are the curds and not the whey. All right, then. So this slurry, what would they do with the slurry? And uh, by the way, the concept of whey cheese is only in the last uh, 100 years, I think, in Norway. And it is around Gubansdal. 
Uh, they've made it famous and done very well. But so the slurry, they would take it out to the pigs and they would feed the pigs fresh whey, the whey of the cheese that they pulled out the curds. And so these pigs would, you know, with their slop, right, they would eat this whey and they Apparently, pigs know fresh whey from not fresh whey because once whey starts to whey starts to spoil, they're not going to eat it. They're done. They'll walk away from it. So, what is in whey? Whey is um, is a, a lot of prote- amino acids, of course, and um, some uh, pep- a lot of peptides and so on. But what is kind of magical, what is special about whey, is that it has a fairly high concentration of a thing, an amino acid called leucine. Now, leucine, through the last 10, maybe 15 years, has been studied, and it's pretty interesting. It has it has an amino acid. It has one thing. So unlike in other, other aspects, you know, we talked about essential amino acids, that's arguably eight or nine amino acids. Um, leucine is one of them. And leucine by itself has the ability to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So leucine as itself, by itself. Obviously, you need all the other building blocks, right? So you can't live by leucine alone. But leucine is pretty amazing. So what they found to the idea of, as people get older, they're really worried about they need to have enough muscle mass so they can walk down the street, so they can uh, produce the all the hormones that muscles produce called myocrines. And can produce the brain-derived neurotropic factor, all the other things. So it needs to be a functioning little factory there. And if that factory called muscle mass doesn't have enough amino acids to build on a regular basis, right? MPS, muscle protein synthesis, then it's not going to be doing all the other things. You're not going to be getting the muscle hormones. You're not going to be getting um, brain-derived neurotropic factor enough to make a difference. And so it is a big contributing factor. Um, in dementia, in Alzheimer's, of and you can sort of see it's a it's a positive feedback. You know, the the more out of it they are, the less likely they're going to work out, the less muscle mass, and so on and so forth. So, what do you do with the people that a conventional diet suggestion, as right as you, as right as as correct as it is, isn't working? Well, enter in you know whey protein concentrates concentrates. And so the secret is, it's whey protein, ideally 20 grams of whey protein, with some extra leucine added in. Even though leucine is in whey protein, having extra um, leucine to the whey makes it even more effective. So whey is kind of a double-sided, two-sided sword, as they say. It has, has two particular problems. Uh, it's loved by bodybuilders. So bodybuilders have one goal. They want big muscles. That's all. They don't really care about insulin. They don't care about anything else. They want big muscles. So they'll get big muscles. Whey by itself is uh, insulinogenic. It can kick up your insulin. So if you're one that has an insulin problem, know people who have an insulin problem? Well, diabetics, anybody who's worried about their their fat mass, meaning they're feeling heavy, well, getting another shot of I use that word loosely, insulin is going to make them fatter. It's kind of a growth hormone. I told you it was insulin-like growth factor is a um, proxy for 
growth hormone as well. So they're very closely related. So bodybuilders like it, not to get their blood sugar up, but because it is closely related to growth hormone. So it will help them build muscles. So the idea is, as we're getting older, we don't necessarily want those big muscles, but we do want muscle growth. So there is, you don't have to have it all in way. So if you have some way, there's the building blocks, right? There's the bricks to make that wall. You need all that, right? Construction type. But if you add in more leucine, you don't have to have as much whey. And that's kind of a secret. So if one has, if they lived only by whey protein with extra leucine for four eating episodes, well, if that's what you have to do, like if somebody's laid up in the hospital, then that's what you have to do. That is a big deal. That in the very least, in the very least, will slow down muscle breakdown. So you've now stopped or slowed it down seriously. So the whole atrophy of muscle mass by somebody who's laid up in the hospital or somebody who can't get all this activity, right? Think of various disabled people. Well, at least you've kept their muscle mass from breaking down as much as it possibly would. So um, the idea is, and there's a number of researchers, research papers from 19, from 19, from 2010 forward, and some have been argued about it, depending on you know, everything's argued about. And the problem is, I don't have time to find out who did the good studies, who did the not good studies, but there's enough people that I follow that are muscle physiologists that reference other people's work that I, I buy it at that level, I believe. Borrowed authority, I guess you could call it. So they can, so for an older person, because the, the longest period of muscle breakdown happens when you sleep. So if you're sleeping for eight hours or if you're sleeping for 10 hours, that's 10 hours that you haven't eaten protein or assume most people haven't. So consequently, after you're usually good after a couple hours after you've eaten protein, that it's going to build up and then it's going to come down and it's going to start breaking down. Well, if you have something like a whey protein drink, however you want to flavor it or not flavor it, but that would be one of the ways that you now can actually help build. And this is some studies actually say you can build, not so much you can stop atrophy. It's like a double negative. Stop the atrophy of muscle mass or the breaking down of muscle mass because that's the longest period of time of inactivity and non-protein eating. Have some before you go to bed. And in that situation, it can help build muscle mass. So then the question comes, which every gym rat asks, okay, I eat protein, whole food sources of protein. Should I take a protein powder like you've just described, the whey and the, the leucine to give my system an extra kick? No, the way it works is that if you get an adequate amount of protein, your body doesn't say, give me twice and I'll, I'll build twice as much. No, it goes, I've got enough. Thank you very much. The rest is either going to be dismissed sent out, burned as fuel, but it needs what it needs. You can't pack it in there. So the only way you can pack it in there, so to say, is by working out. So high intensity training, creating the need, right? Type two muscle fibers are the one they are all about strength and they're not about endurance and they type two, they're fast twitch, they expire quickly. So those are the ones that you're stressing to create a need to build more muscle mass by creating the demand, 
to build more muscle mass, you now require more um, whatever your source of protein is going to be. So that's how that works. So you have a you have a choice of creating your own demand, right? In the in the real world, saying that you can go to a gym and that you can do this. But if you're laid up, and we're all laid up at some point, um, if you're laid up and you can still eat, then make sure you got your protein. So a whole food sources of protein would be very beneficial then. But if you also cannot eat well for whatever reason, you know, um, be it injury, be it your seriously hospitalized, well, then in that case, clearly whole food sources of protein wouldn't be the way to go. And it would be basically whey plus leucine put in. And they they actually are now starting uh, in some hospitals to give what they call TPN, total parenteral nutrition, in which they put a port um, on your upper chest, upper, um, I believe it's around the clavicle, so not my specialty, but they put that in. So therefore, that's how this person can now minimize, even though they're getting bed rest and their muscles are inactive, they can stop the atrophy and possibly even build muscle. So that's phenomenal. So the idea, and it's very new, you haven't, you know, I've been just really getting into protein and muscle mass and the factors in the last month or two, um, selfishly for myself, you know, working out, how much do you have to work out? Um, how much in, in, as I say, that's what led me to the door of why we primarily uh, whole food sources of protein eaters with a minimal of anything else. But the the other question comes up. So what's the difference between a whole food source of protein, the meat, the fish, the poultry, and a great protein powder drink, the whey plus the leucine? And you notice I say leucine, I don't say branched chain amino acids. Um, leucine is one of the branched chain amino acids, but you don't need the rest of the branched chain amino acids uh, for muscle mass. So that's the difference. If you take it, it's not bad. You're getting more leucine. And that's basically what we're doing now because there's not a lot of leucine-only products out there. So when I prescribe to older people, here's a whey product. We talk about the whey and the and the insulin and so on and so forth and what that might be like. So we're trying to minimize the whey need and we we do that by adding in more leucine. So anyway, back to the uh, comparison of the whole food sources of protein versus um, whey powder is that you're getting the fats. So as we did in a, a video, it's about to be coming out, is that when you see a, a, um, a chicken breast, a grilled skinless boneless chicken breast, and for three and a half ounces of a chicken breast, and that's going to equal about 30 grams of protein. Um, three and a half ounces, that's roughly around um, 100 grams. And so when you see a chicken breast, you have about one third of the weight, I should say, is in protein. So one third of the weight is in protein for a chicken breast. Another protein similar as well. But so what's the difference? Well, certainly water, right? But the fat that's in there too that yes, I know you've trimmed off the fat, so there isn't conspicuous signs of fat there, but there is fat that's sheathed around the muscle and that's part of all that. That fat, and ideally omega-3 fats that you certainly would get more in fish, but you get it in, in all those things, is that that sensitizes your muscle to both uh, glucose and insulin. So it makes it a better muscle responder. 
So that's a big deal. So that is the big difference. And so if one was just having, I really want to lose my fat, so they're just going to have protein powders, they would, um, they possibly would be at risk for compromising neurological issues because that's your neurons are fat. And so they would have to take in the very least an omega-3 capsule or however they're going to take it concurrent with that. And they'd have to worry about other you know, vitamins and nutrients that also come in whole food sources. So um, the fattiest, the best source of, in my view, of all nutrition is liver. So whether it's calves liver or, or, you know, adult cow liver, um, I'm not quite sure which is better. I know the calves liver is more expensive and it tastes better, but I don't know if they're nutritionally that different. And then, of course, there's egg yolk. So you notice there's a lot of fat there. For somebody who's like, oh, I want to lose fat. I don't want to have to have fat. Well, what they would do is have their protein and make sure they had their omega-3s. So that's how you can structure that. So the idea that you can make muscle mass grow in your sleep is possible. And I'll put down some of the studies, the links in the show notes. So in the very least, you can clip into those and do your own reading. And that will, those will lead to other um, more more recent studies even, especially if they're listed on PubMed, you see the other studies that have cited the study that you're interested in and then um, studies that have come out on that topic subsequent to that particular paper. So that is pretty neat. So if you're really into that and you're having a pretty good meal and you're eating your whole food sources of protein four times a day and you're a pretty healthy person and you just want to get one more in there, now, remember, if you haven't created a need for more protein and you're already eating to your ideal body weight amount, one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight, there's not much sense in adding anything to it. You're not going to get any, I know you're not going to believe me, and you're going to think this is the hack. You know, I'm going to hack my way into big muscles and not have to go to the gym. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, but you do have to go to the gym to create the need, and then you can increase your protein you'll be increasing your weight as well. Your muscle muscle weighs more than fat. So as you go in that direction, that's what will happen. But it's something. So if you're thinking about your grandparents or your parents or anybody else who's laid up, this isn't a bad thing to do. You get a flavored whey protein drink, um, get some extra either BCAAs and or um, a leucine supplements. They're now starting to come out. In fact, there's even, I contacted a compounding pharmacy in Canada because I saw it online from one of the talks I had watched on this particular issue. And they have, I should probably go to that right now. And they have, it's called the Organic Compounding Pharmacy. And on their site, they basically show how can the aging population fix this? And what there is, it's an image of, declining muscle mass from 25 to 80. And it says, uh, studies have shown that drinking 20 grams of whey protein with two grams of leucine before bed stimulates muscle protein synthesis during sleep and improves overnight whole body protein balance in elderly males. So it was a specific study. And that study was called intragastric, intragastric protein administration, stimulation, overnight muscle protein synthesis, and elderly men that came out in 2012. And then 
it says this is the first study to show that dietary protein administration during sleep is followed by normal digestion and absorption, thereby stimulating overnight muscle protein synthesis. Dietary protein administration during sleep stimulates muscle protein synthesis and improves overnight whole body protein balance. And it says, in conclusion, this study proves that protein administration, talk about saying the same thing six times, um, an increase in overnight plasma amino acid availability stimulates muscle protein synthesis. So isn't that pretty cool? And it says the amino acid leucine has shown to protect muscle mass during sleep cycle. So the idea that they didn't say this, they said whey and leucine, but that leucine by itself, if you take it before you go to bed, you won't be breaking down any muscle. So isn't that something? So there you go. These are things you could use and use them appropriately. So I've found myself now and having to prescribe, if you will, encourage people to look at this because I want to make sure they're getting a enough protein through the course of the day. And if they have to do it this way, two scoops of protein, and then they'll have meat with dinner or whatever they're going to have for their family, then that's not a bad way to do it. You know, we've had a jerry rig by protein, by whey powders and leucine and whole food sources of protein to get them up to adequate levels, you know, per my perspective. And so it can make a big deal And so now you have the protein and now you get the exercise going, you're going to find, you know, mental stimulation change. So that's your BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's a big deal in terms of memory. So there used to be called a thing called muscle memory, which is basically dancers refer to it a lot and certain athletes like pitchers and so on and so forth that in quarterbacks, muscle memory, you've done it so often. Well, part of that memory is that you are each time you did that exercise is that you are creating more, you know, more spikes of brain-derived neurotropic factor while you're going through this motion. So it's like a tape recorder. It records what's going on. So yeah, it's muscle memory in that sense. Oh, it's just muscle memory. No, you created a substance that enhanced your memory while you were doing that activity. And so that's the thing that drove it home. That's how you collected and remembered, put on the tape, that particular activity. So interesting. So it's very applicable to as people get older. So you need to use it young. And as a coaches yell across the field, muscle memory, muscle memory. Or as you get older, it's still muscle memory, muscle memory. Go work out and create the thing that makes for better memory. BDNF and other things too. We've simplified a little bit, but that's a big deal. And as I say, two things we worry about as you get older, enough muscle mass and memory. If you start thinking your memory's going, then you're going to be more, less apt to go out and be socially active, which is exactly what you need. You need more contacts. And so this is important. This is key to a healthy, older age. Okay. So muscle and memory. Don't forget it. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcam again for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode 
uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H.com. drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.